Hello and welcome to the official podcast for the Australian Podiatry Association. I'm Siobhan Doran and I edit Stride Magazine for the members of the association and I'll be your host for today. Today is a podcast with a difference because we're doing a little bit of what I guess I'd call podiatry-based myth-busting and this comes off the back of some really interesting results that have come through in a newly released 2020 foot health survey which has been conducted by the Australian Podiatry Association. Uh, and the survey is online, so please feel free to uh, go and look at the findings uh, through our website, podiatry.org.au. But the gist of it is that we asked people independently across Australia what they thought about podiatrists and their own foot health and even how people do or don't manage their foot health. So we'll have this chat. I'm joined by Charlotte Bedell and Dr Francis Henshaw. Charlotte graduated from Huddersfield University in the UK back in 2005 and she completed the Half-Masters Advanced Pharmacology for Podiatrists Access for Drugs uh, and that was in 2013 at the University of South Australia. She began her career in the NHS over in the UK and upon moving to Australia in 2008, Charlotte took the opportunity to work in the private sector to pursue her interest in biomechanics which has developed from her passion for sports. And joining Charlotte is Dr. Frances Henshaw. She is an experienced clinician and also a researcher and scientist. Her PhD explored the medication of inflammation in the wound microenvironment in diabetes. Frances's primary research interest is in the prevention and the management of diabetes-related foot disease. And her current research focuses on advanced wound assessment using the more novel point of care techniques such as ultrasound and bio, uh, biochemistry. And she strives, when she's not doing all of that, to find translatable solutions which will improve foot-related outcomes in people with diabetes. That's uh, quite an impressive bio for both of you. Welcome to, uh, to both of you today. How are you? Thanks Thank you. Much. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Thanks for being here. Good. Well, I know we're all like talking remotely, obviously, in our different areas, um, but I'm hoping today will be a really interesting conversation because uh, I think some of the findings in the survey were genuinely surprising and uh, it would be really good to address some of these myths and, and set the record straight. So um, I, I suggest we just dive straight in. I, I wanted to go through a couple of myths with you today and maybe we can just discuss them. So the first one, I thought about was in the survey, the belief seems to be there, or at least based on some, some statistics which show 70% of Australians are wearing less supportive shoes or even going barefoot, and one in three people have noticed an increase in pain or discomfort of their feet or their lower limbs, and even two out of three Australians, the survey findings have revealed, have never received advice on correct footwear. So with those stats as our backdrop, can we talk about the fact that the survey seems to suggest people think all footwear is created equal. What are your thoughts, Francis? Maybe you could start us off. Thanks, Siobhan. Well, it'll probably surprise you to know that I'm not completely militant about footwear. And I think that, mm -hmm. you know, there's different types of footwear. There's high heels and, and then very supportive shoes that are flat with laces. And I think footwear is a bit like chocolate. It's all right to have the high heels once in a while, but it's probably not a good idea to get round in them all the time. So for most people, mm. they can commit a footwear sin once in a while if they're wearing the correct footwear most of the time. 
However, there are some people that really need to have very, very appropriate and well-fitting footwear all the time, such as people um, with diabetes who are at risk of ulceration, people who've had amputations and have odd-shaped feet from that. People with rheumatological disease get a lot of foot um, pain that can be easily alleviated by having the right shoes. So the right shoe, people often ask me what that looks like. And really, you know, it needs to have a a heel of probably less than two centimeters because that way we can still walk the way that we were intended to walk. It needs to be wide enough and long enough and deep enough, especially if people have got things like clawed toes. It's really important that the, the shoe that they're wearing accommodates their, um, the, the depth of their foot. And often mm. I have patients who would say, oh no, my shoes are wide enough. And then I measure with a tape measure across the widest part of their foot and I measure the widest part of their shoe. And often the widest part of their shoe is two centimeters more narrow than their foot. So there are a lot of people mm. that are squashing their feet into um, unsuitable shoes. And that's probably why one in three people have um, foot pain. So um, mm. Charlotte, I think you've been seeing quite a few people um, with foot pain over the whole COVID episode, have you? I have. Thanks, Francis. That was answered really beautifully. Um, mm. I've had some really interesting injuries with the whole COVID shoes, I'm now calling them, because most people are working from home. So they're not wearing the business shoes or the high heels. Everyone's either wearing bare feet, thongs or Ugg boots, especially in poor Melbourne and Tasmania, where it's so cold at the moment. So I had one one patient who normally wears his, his trainers and his orthotics or he would wear his army and William, William boots to work. But now he's been wearing his Ugg boots. And so he's actually got a really high arc. It ended up mm. pulling up with perineal pain and perineal pain is the muscle on the outside of your calf. And he's just overstrained mm. it because he's just been wearing his Ugg boots. And then wow. you get the patients that... I know it's it's quite amazing, and so all I had yeah. to say to me was, just put your trainers and your orthotics back on, do a couple of stretches, and the pain mm. was gone within two weeks. Gee, and wow, and then you're getting patients, <laughs> and then you're getting patients that obviously have got a lot more cracked heels because they're either doing bare feet or thongs around the house, and some people a lot quite a few people are working in the kitchen and in the kitchen there's no carpet so it's all hard ground so i'm seeing a lot more dry cracked heels now than i am normally come summertime when people go to the beaches wow wow and do you think people are associating this with their changes in footwear or are they coming to you just genuinely concerned and having no clue that it's related to covid <laughs> indirectly they, they don't have a clue they don't have a clue that it's yeah. related to COVID. They don't realise that it's a change of their shoes. And so you just have to break it down basic. What does your foot actually need? And what does it need to be yeah. housed into? What type of shoe for the best support yeah. for yeah. it? That's right. And are people receptive? I guess once they do understand, um, they're, they're open to making those changes that you're recommending? Straight away, because they want to get out of pain. They don't want to be in pain. Yeah. So the majority of my yeah. patients here, yeah, they're very, very happy to change their footwear and accommodate mm. themselves to get out of that pain. Yeah. yeah. And have you, um, have you noticed in general, um, Charlotte, uh, like Francis talked about earlier on, that people do sometimes think all footwear is created equal and there really is no difference in, in footwear from high heels through to sneakers through to whatever else. 
Um, do you experience that in your clinic? Yeah, I do. Um, I have some lovely, lovely ladies that wear their still totting around in their lovely little heels. And I just try and explain mm-hmm. to people, wear, wear your beautiful heels for going to the church, going to restaurants, the restaurants that yeah. we can actually go to at the moment. And, and yeah. for your nine to five shoes, just be sensible. Wear a good shoe that's yeah. going to support and house your foot comfortably because yeah. everyone's foot shapes are completely different. Absolutely. Do you know, there's a funny story, and I never thought I'd be sharing this anecdote today, but my grandmother was a, a devout wearer of high heels right through to the end, and in rehabilitation she had to wear her high heels um, because her oh. feet and her... <laughs> limbs and she'd have her makeup on in the hospital and the hair done and um yeah that she was just so conditioned into wearing high heels she could not stand without them um yeah yeah so i wish she had a good because, back in the day <laughs> well because over time she's so used to wearing that two three inch heel her achilles yeah. and calf would have shortened over time so her going down into a flatter shoe would have actually been quite painful for her yeah so that's right she yeah. Was, yeah so uh, I agree. Yeah. Keeping them in that heel and right. keeping that's my clinical yeah. input. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the other things that we find quite a lot as well is that people always associate um, suitable footwear with having to spend a lot of money, and some people, mm. you know, simply think they can't afford it. But I think that's where a podiatrist can be really helpful to you because they can tell you about the features that you need in a shoe and sometimes it's possible to find that shoe in a less expensive shop and so you can actually do something that will help your feet without breaking the bank breaking. yeah that's, that's, that's right. very big, true and actually w yeah, and target i've got some great shoes but we just need to mm. they just need to be advised what to look out for mm. and they are there a cheaper option so that is really interesting because we've just been through this with our podiatrist who has advised us on what you've just mentioned. But um, I didn't realise uh, and we were forking out a lot of money for shoes we thought were the shoes we should buy without realising um, what else is available. Um, and that leads me into talking, I guess, more broadly about finances. One of the uh, findings in the survey was that people, well, I think the statistic was 45% of people have identified finance-related concerns as a reason to stop them seeing a podiatrist. Um, and I think 76% of people were unaware that some podiatry services are government-funded through you know, various uh, channels and sources. So I don't know, Francis, if you would like to bust this next myth, which is that podiatrists are expensive in the eyes of many people in Australia. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, that's an interesting um, concept. I think that um, people uh, have this idea that healthcare is free because, it, you know, Australia does have a great health system, but obviously the Australian health system can't support all the health needs of everybody. So a lot of things have to be outsourced and you and you have to pay for them privately and I think one of the things is people are not used to that and you know a podiatrist possibly isn't cheap but at the same time you would never not get your car service and you wouldn't put retreads on your Mercedes because you would see it as a false economy and I think that we have to look at the podiatrist in the same way that um, by not looking after our feet we could actually be causing a lot more problems down the track For example, Mm -hmm. if you start limping because your feet hurt, 
you might spend a lot of money at the physio at the end of the day. So I think you have to look at it as something that um, is a bit of an investment. And as you um, said, Siobhan, there is actually quite a lot of ways that people can um, have help with the costs. So a lot of health funds will um, provide a rebate towards a um, podiatrist consultation or if you need some orthotics or footwear, some health funds will help to pay for those as well. There's the Chronic Disease Management Programme, which is government-funded podiatry for people who have um, chronic diseases such as diabetes or rheumatological diseases. And your GP can tell you if you're eligible for these and they can write you a plan so you can see a podiatrist five times a year. Mm, there are also some is... hospital services, but they're very, very limited to people who've usually got um, very bad uh, foot problems, usually related to diabetes. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there is expense, but then um, I'm sure, Charlotte, you'll agree that um, uh, as a podiatrist with a practice, there's overheads that, that you have to meet too. Of course yeah. there is. I mean, sure. I've, I've worked in Parramatta, Five Dock, and now I'm working in, in Elizabeth Bay. And so for myself, owning a clinic and renting, the, the rent is different per area. But also I've got a receptionist. Every time I open a pack of instruments, that costs me $8, the medicaments that we're using. And it, it all adds up. Um, so prices can vary to where you end up having your treatment, I have to admit. If you're going to go for an appointment in the city, be prepared to pay a little bit more expensive because the rent's more expensive there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But if you go... A little bit out of say if you go into the country the appointment will be cheaper but as mm -hmm. as francis was saying we've got our health insurance dva our veterans dva gold cards they do get their treatments for free and we've got the the chronic disease management plans and like francis was saying the gp can give you five treatments and when we say five treatments you get 54 dollars back from medicare with each appointment and you don't just have to use them all up with podiatry. You can use them three with podiatry, one with physio and one with dietitian. Or you can mix it up five, four with physio, one with podiatry. It's whatever you and your doctor feels like you would benefit the most. Yeah, okay. And, and do you feel, Charlotte, um, that people do consider podiatrists to be expensive? Have you had any experiences with that perception in your You know what? It's funny, funny you say this. So I've got a home visit practice and mm. this week we actually had a gentleman that wasn't very happy on the phone because our mm. home visits are the initial appointment is 150 dollars, so we spend between 45 mm. minutes and an hour with that patient in their own home so the patient doesn't need to mm. do anything and we're bringing the clinic to the home whereas if you come into the clinic for for a first appointment for a general treatment it's 115 so it's a little bit cheaper but there's this man this gentleman was not happy in the slightest mm. and we just had to explain it to him you know we're coming to your home we're spending more yeah. time double the amount of time from the clinic into your home so that's why the, the prices are a little bit more expensive and I have to tell mm. you my prices I know they sound expensive but I know other practitioners other people do pay more and then I have charged mm. less when I used to work in in five dollars 
So the prices do yeah. vary. So I'd say to everyone, anyone that's looking for a podiatrist to come to the home or to the cl- or going into the clinic, get in touch with the podiatry mm-hmm. association, and they've got a list of all the different yeah. podiatrists in on the website. And then you can actually, when you give them a call, ask them how much it is and how long their appointment is and what what treatment they will receive. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic advice. Because I think that there is, you know, to a certain degree, um, you get what you pay for. And some podiatrists do very short appointments and um, charge a lot less. But you're probably not going to get all of your problems answered. And I must say, when I worked um, as a podiatrist, I think one of the really satisfying things about my job was um, when I had a private practice that you could give people instant relief. And I think that, yeah. um, you Absolutely. know, if someone's been walking around with a corn that's been killing them for months and months and you've charged them, you know, $100, but you've got rid of it, they think mm-hmm. that that's money well spent. So I think that, you know, a lot of the things that podiatrists do are quick fixes in a way. And therefore, mm. I think they do represent really good value for money. Yeah. yeah and Francis, I've got to add into that. You know, I've had 12 years experience. You've had more experience than I have. And, you know, we've got a lot of knowledge and we've gained a lot of mm. skills throughout those years. So I think, yeah. I think it's important that you do pay for the service at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, mm. because I've, I have a friend and um, who's a podiatrist and, and uh, someone who came in was a professional rugby league player. And I won't name him because I can't remember his name, but he's quite well known. <laughs> and um, he had um, had some problem with his foot and he'd been around all the team doctors. He'd been to the orthopedics. He, you know, seen all these people. They were thinking of doing surgery and um, he actually had a corn. And my oh, wow. he's a podiatrist got the corn out and, you know, he probably had thousands and thousands of dollars worth of oh. medical appointments and treatments oh when if you just had the person who was the expert in field, um, yeah, five minute fix. Gee, that's, that's really disappointing. So the motto is, if you've, if you've got a problem with your foot, go to someone that specializes mm-hmm. in that field. Yes. That's right, which is what, Charlotte? <laughs> Podiatrist. <A> Podiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's, it's what I'm hearing from both of you, Francis and Charlotte, it's an education piece as well, isn't it? It's explaining why treatments cost what they do, but also, um, yeah, the years of clinical experience and know-how that's gone into solving, you know, a problem that would otherwise cost potentially thousands of dollars going down the um, incorrect uh, avenues trying to get a diagnosis. Um, yeah, and I think if we now move into another myth that came up, and maybe Charlotte, you could take the lead on this one. Um, in the survey, 16% of Australians would visit a podiatrist for a sporting injury to their lower limb, um, but we were interested at how low this statistic is, which I guess means by default there's a large majority of people who would not um, see a podiatrist if they had foot pain so long as they could maybe still exercise in spite of this foot pain. Have you got any thoughts on this, Miss Charlotte, that you'd like to address? Well, when, it, when you have got a pain and it's not that bad, you can still totter around on your shoes in your beautiful heels. Mm-hmm. You can still go for a run and it doesn't feel that bad. But that's what you're thinking. 
but let, let's go mm. back and think what is pain so pain in your foot mm. is caused by an increased amount of pressure on a muscle or a joint mm. so if you mm -hmm. exercise with just a niggle or a little pain that is actually going to end up as chronic pain because you're not addressing why you've overexerted the pressure in a certain area of your foot so if you if you continue this it will get worse it will become chronic and then you'll end up compensating you'll get pain in the other foot mm -hmm. you get pain in the other knee and then it can refer up to your hip so mm. just a niggle can actually turn into something quite chronic so i say to patients just mm. nip it in the bud straight away because then you've got maybe pain for two weeks instead of pain for six months and then possibly you know you, you you could end up with surgery if you end up with a really sore out of out of displaced hip for example yeah charlotte yeah. i think that that's a really important point because um when you've got a little niggle a podiatrist can often give you some exercises some taping some advice and, and it can get better quite quickly but if you do something really bad to your foot the hardest thing to do is actually rest your feet because there's yeah. so many people that can pop themselves into bed for six weeks and have someone wait on them hand and foot. So when you've got mm. your foot pain to a certain degree, it becomes very difficult to actually alleviate it because the only thing that alleviates really severe pain is to rest. And you simply yeah. can't rest your feet most of the time. Yeah. Mm. Francis, you've just explained you... a patient of mine that's going through this at the moment. Mm. He actually had a, a motorbike accident last November and he had a severe, so the tibia came through his his skin at the front and then his foot was pushed back. So his calcaneal, his heel bone and the midfoot was pushed backwards. So the tibia mm. was popping out. And I got referred to him from the orthopedic surgeon back in March and he had, he had some um, fibula repair as well because that was crushed so and he both he's, the bones in his leg and he yeah. mashed his foot up as well Did yeah so now he's had the subtalar joint has been fused so he hasn't got any ankle joint mm. movement in his ankle but he only mm. came to see me because his second because he's been in a boot for four months but his second toe is is sitting up in the air it's dorsiflexed up in the air and he needs it more plantar flex so he's got to stretch we've got we needed to stretch out the tendon so we ended up doing some shockwave and giving him some advice got him back in his trainers got him in some orthotics and now he, he could actually walk and he was training he was in a trainer he was not in his boot he was overjoyed so he started mm. rehab went for gold on his rehab because he wanted to get back to normal and he's young he's 28 he wants to get back to normal he was working so hard at the gym and then came to see me and he's, I'm, I'm like massaging his second out and trying to plan to flex it down. He's like, oh, oh, I said, what's wrong? He never does that, never done that before. Went over his second, third and fourth metatarsals and there was just pain and pressure in that area. And he's like, Charlotte, at the moment, it's just a little bit tender in that area when I'm exercising. I said, honestly, I do not like this. I'm just going to send you back to the orthopedic surgeon. Let's get an MRI. Let's get CT done. The orthopedic surgeon ran me up the next day. He's got a stress fracture through second, third and fourth because he's been over pushing it. Oh. So he's back in a boot and he's been in the boot four weeks now. And oh. yeah, so we've had to go backwards yeah. because he was pushing himself so much. And he said, Charlotte, I've actually had pain in my foot for so long. I didn't think that was a problem. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was normal. Oh, wow. So, Please, if you've got a niggle, don't push it because it can actually turn into yeah. something a lot more. 
I mean, yeah, definitely. Do you experience this, Francis? Have you um, seen similar people in your clinic who think they're able yeah, to push I mean, through pain? You see, obviously, I, I see a lot of people who have diabetes and they lose the feeling mm. in their feet. So they have the opposite problem. They actually don't get any pain. So those people need mm. to very carefully look at their feet and inspect them to make sure there's nothing wrong with them because they're not actually mm. getting what we call the gift of pain. So there is the kind of flip side mm. to that, that not everybody gets pain. But if you are a person who does get pain, um, we do see a lot of people that uh, have been a long time into an injury before they seek help. And obviously that mm. does make the um, road to rehabilitation a much slower and longer road. And, you know, we also see instances where people who've tried to push through pain, especially in, you know, elite sports people, it can be career ending for them. So, um, you know, we see a lot of ballet dancers and things like that, who um, there's a there's a, a muscle in your foot called flexor hallucis longus. They have a lot of trouble with that. And so, you know, these things, if we can um, get them early, do some strength, strengthening and stretching and um and help people to cope with their problems we can prevent them to getting to this stage where it you know prevents them from carrying out their profession and things like that i see a lot of um i remember i used to see a lot of tradespeople who would get a lot of pain in the bottom of their feet from standing on ladders all day and sometimes with things like that you can find other ways that they might be able to do their work even half the time and that would um really stop them from progressing their pain so quickly. So podiatrists do have a lot of hacks when it comes to um, finding things to do that will prevent the pain from getting worse. So it's always a good idea um, to, to seek their advice. Yeah, definitely. It's funny hearing you both uh, talk because I was seeing a podiatrist the other day with my son who's 13 and he has pain in his foot and he said to her without any irony, He's like, but why am I here? <laughs> he didn't think that would be a problem that he's got pain in his foot. And she was wonderful and said, okay, you're not meant to have pain in your feet, especially not when you're 13. And it was like he had no idea. He was shocked to hear that pain isn't something you have to actually live with. Um, so, I mean, that's a 13-year-old. So I can't imagine how it would be for someone if the mindset continues that way for another 20 or 30 years. Indeed. Yeah. Interesting. Well, maybe um, we could bust another myth now. I'm thinking in particular about GPs, and I'll give you some background, and perhaps, Francis, if you would like to um, take the lead on this point. So, obviously, uh, we think GPs are wonderful. I, I love my GP. They have uh, so many amazing um, you know, mechanisms and tools in their uh, suite of offerings. However, what was interesting in the survey is that 62% of Australians would seek foot advice from their GP, despite podiatrists being the foot health experts. Um, and I just wonder, perhaps, there's a, an impression out there that a GP can do everything a, podiatr a podiatrist does. And I think, Francis, you mentioned the example of the corn. Uh, perhaps it can be taken out uh, by a podiatrist, and that's a simple procedure. Would people be likely to go to a GP for that, uh, for example? And um, where does, where does the, uh, where do the boundaries kind of start and end when it comes to GP intervention and podiatric intervention? So back to the myth. The myth being a GP can do everything a podiatrist does. What are your thoughts on that one, Francis? 
it's um it's interesting i think the fact that 62 percent of people get foot advice from their gp might be because they actually don't understand the scope of practice of a podiatrist and what podiatrists can do so you know they just mm. think when i have a health issue i see my doctor and gps have an amazingly broad um, scope of practice so one minute they've got someone coming in with a sore elbow the next minute they've got someone with a you know a, a cough or somebody with a rash on their skin they have to know about everything so with this enormous breadth of knowledge that they have they probably don't have the depth of knowledge um, in every single part of um, medicine so most gps that I've spoken to are not that interested in feet, to be honest, because they're probably looking after mm. people who've got very, um, you know, life-threatening conditions. So, you know, feet don't tend to be the focus. That said, there are some GPs who know an enormous about, amount about feet, but I think that podiatrists mm. are definitely that have a probably a deeper level of expertise and I actually um, do some work with the medical students at our university and they're always blown away by how much podiatrists um, know and you know we were talking about vascular assessment and I think uh, my podiatry student could probably mm -hmm. assess um, somebody's circulation better than the equivalent medical student but the equivalent medical mm -hmm. student would have a whole wide plethora of other things that they can do so I'm not saying that podiatrists you know are better they're just different they have a smaller scope yeah. so they have a deeper scope of practice and you know an example yeah. I could give is um, a lot of the time people when they have an ingrown toenail will go and see a GP because it's logical my toes big red hot swollen and it hurts so they trot down to the GP mm. with an infected ingrown toenail and the GP will give them some antibiotics which is a perfectly logical thing to do but mm. then um, that's probably if there's a piece of nail that's sticking into you, the antibiotics will make it feel better because it will get rid of the infection, but it's not actually treating the root cause. So this is probably where you then need to see your podiatrist to actually get the underlying problem um, sorted out. So I see this really interesting shared care model sometimes where GPs look after part of people's problems and then podiatrists can look after the other part. So I think that, you know, mm. GPs and podiatrists can work really nicely together. And I know mm. um, in my time uh, working with people with diabetic foot ulcers, for example, often I would ring a GP and I would say, look, Mr. Smith has got a nasty infection in his foot. Could you give him some antibiotics? And it was, you know, often the GPs really were not so sure exactly what to prescribe. Well, I worked in a hospital where we had infectious disease doctors. So just by listening to them talking for five years, I kind of knew, knew the ropes. So I probably had this in-depth idea of uh, what the GP could prescribe. And so I think you can work really nicely in with GPs. And, and then I think you can demonstrate that as a podiatrist, you, you do know your onions. And, um, and I think that that gives the best outcome for the patient. So a GP generally can't do everything a podiatrist does simply because they don't have you know such deep training in things like biomechanics for example so they might know someone's um got a sore heel but they probably don't understand the underlying um pathology and the processes that are going on to cause that because they've spent five years at medical school learning everything whereas podiatrists spend four years just learning about below the knee pretty much mm, yeah that is so true i think um 
yeah, again, it comes down to an education piece. And I love what you just said there, Francis. It's not like a GP or a podiatrist are better or worse than the other. It's just about that shared care model and they're different. And it's, I think for people to understand these differences is really where the challenge and the opportunity lies. What are your thoughts, Charlotte? Have you got uh, any thoughts on the, uh, the GP pathway, especially uh, the podiatrist um, pathway? I have to say, doctors are fantastic and I work with doctors and as soon as they have a foot problem, they'll refer straight on to me. And it's it's great mm. to have that relationship with them. But I mean, I was, um, a patient was referred to me who had bunion pain. And so we were working on, one of the treatments was isolating the muscle that control, tr- controls the bunion shape. So I was working on the big toe muscle on the inside of the arch and isolating that muscle. So we go into such deep into such depth that the the doctors would have an understanding of it but like Francis was saying we go to university for four years and we concentrate on the lower limb so mm. I think if, if you have got a, a, a concern definitely go and see your GP they can always give you the EPC if, if they qualify the sorry the oh let me get my wording right first that's it the chronic disease management plan they can always give you that they can give you an x-ray ultrasound and that's the same as podiatrists we can organize x-ray ultrasounds and they can they can find out what Mm -hmm. the problem is and then they can refer on um yeah but then at the same time i have had other other patients that have had heel pain and they were just told to do some i'll just do some calf raises and your plantar fasciitis will go away so oh, wow. I think go go to a speciality. If you've got hand mm. pain, go see a hand mm. and wrist physio. If you've got foot pain, mm. go and see a podiatrist. Yeah, that's right. Um, and actually maybe, Charlotte, that leads us nicely into the final myth of today. Um, and I'll just prefix this myth by saying in my role uh, through Stride Magazine, where I interview a lot of members, who obviously are podiatrists, um, I have experienced frustration, which I can totally empathise with, which is the perception that still exists in some pockets out there being podiatrists only cut toenails, you know, and that's kind of it, this linear concept of what is obviously a very complex um, uh, vocation. So with this myth, we found out that three out of four people in the survey think podiatrists shouldn't treat gout and in fact, four out of five people think podiatrists shouldn't treat a stress fracture of the lower limb. So with that in mind, and the myth being podiatrists only cut toenails and do nothing else, which we know clearly is not true, what are your thoughts, Charlotte, on, on this myth uh, and the public perception that exists? And I understand where that comes from, because if, if someone has got gout, the, that patient will go and see the GP straight away. Yeah. And... At the same time, I've seen a patient, a patient has walked in with a limping into see me and I'm thinking, oh no, what's happened here? And mm. you see the condition of the foot. You start asking a few questions about their, their eating habits, hereditary. Have they had any conditions like gout before? And then when you look closer mm. on the actual joint or the, the big toe joint where gout actually forms, you can see like little white crystals. It's not, they're not crystals like diamonds. But the little, it's a mm-hmm. white mass. And straight away, that's when you think, oh, that could be gout. 
But what I personally do, I send them straight to the doctor, straight to the GP, get a blood test, and then that can confirm if they've got gout. And generally with gout, mm-hmm. they're, they're in a lot of pain. It's like they've broken their foot. Mm-hmm. So we'll put, mm-hmm. if they come limping in, we'll put them in the boots. So yes, we mm-hmm. can see it and we can find it, but we need that confirmation to work with the GPs, the doctors, to confirm that it is gout. So yeah, we, we can, we can, podiatrists can treat gout. And as I was saying before, I, I found a patient that ended up having stress fractures. And now I see him weekly for massage mobilize. He also sees the physios for his rehab. He sees his orthopedic Mm -hmm. surgeon to be kept an eye on. So we all work at it as a team. So Mm. I I can say we're one per the podiatrist is one person of part of the team. So we don't, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't just be the only person that would be treating the gout or the only one that would be doing the stretch fracture, uh, looking after Mm -hmm. a patient with stress fracture. We would look after that person, you know, as a team. I think the other thing that's really yeah. interesting is that podiatrists um, build up a lot of what I call tacit knowledge, which is you know something is a certain diagnosis just because you've seen it so many times before. And I, I remember mm. I had um, a case where there was a girl, she was 21, and she got a, a stress fracture of her fifth metatarsal. Well, it's, it's unusual for a 21-year-old to st- get a stress fracture with no real history or accident or anything or repeat repeated sports injury or something associated with it so anyway we managed it and she then she got really bad heel pain in her other foot and then she got a stress fracture in her other fifth metatarsal and to me this just didn't look quite right and um so I, i rang a gp and i said it's not right it's not right and the gp said shall i refer her to an orthopedic surgeon and i said no i think i think she needs to see a rheumatologist Anyway, the GP wanted to send her to an orthopedic surgeon, but it turned out that this person actually had an autoimmune disease. So I think that the good thing about podiatrists is that because they only look at feet, they kind of know when things aren't quite right. And mm. um, I think completely agree that people think that podiatrists only cut toenails. I have to say, and I hope I don't make myself unpopular, is that some, there are mm-hmm. some podiatrists that that is pretty much their scope of practice, and they mm-hmm. they've never had the confidence to do more than that and I think you know many years ago that's what podiatrists did but then many years ago I think the first doctors came from being barbers didn't they so when you got sick you'd go Mm. and see the person who cut your hair to try and make you better before doctors were available so I think that there are um podiatrists that are still very um entrenched in doing very simple podiatry but I think the people that we graduate these days um certainly in the program that I teach into we teach them sports medicine we teach them about gerontology which is old people we teach them about pediatrics which is kids they do very high Mm. level vascular assessment to see what your circulation's like neurological assessment to see if there's any problems with the feeling in your feet they learn about rheumatology they learn about diabetes and diabetic foot complications. They have a very high level knowledge of um, pharmacology. So they actually, um, if they do a little bit more study, they're able to prescribe medication. They can um, undertake minor surgical procedures and give local anesthetics. And um, so there's a huge scope. And it's really funny because whenever we have an open day at the university, um, 
I always see these people that um, aren't interested in podiatry simply because they don't know what we do. And once you tell them mm -hmm. that we can do that and you can specialize and become a surgeon or something like that, suddenly they think, oh, this might be more interesting than, you know, physiotherapy because I can still do my sports if I want to, but I could do my surgery if I wanted to, or I could look at um, diabetic foot ulcers. So there's a real big scope. And I think that podiatrists probably need to um, be very much more vocal about what they can actually do because that's the only way that we will change the perception of the profession. I agree completely with you, Francis. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go back to when I was back in the UK. I mean, I've been in Australia now 12 years, but I graduated 15 years ago and I spent three years in the NHS. And back then, I mean, like my great auntie Nelly, she used to say, oh, I need to go and see the cropodist to get my corns out. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. it's not just a cropodist, they're a podiatrist. There are what? What's a podiatrist? I said, well, mm. a podiatrist specialises in all the fields of the, of the lower limb. And when I was in the NHS, we used to try and have to advise and inform people that what podiatry actually is. And I must admit that in the NHS now, still back in Liverpool and where I used to work, it's still, we're still known as gravidists because it's really hard to get to the elderly to understand what a podiatrist mm. is. But yeah. I agree with you, Francis. We're the ones that have got to educate our pe our patients and, I think and, the other thing is, and let them know exactly what we do. Yes. And I think the other thing is, is that um, a lot of people these days um, go to these nail parlours and things like that where they'll scrape a bit of callus off. And um, I, I have a story about my friend's mum and she had this corn on her little toe and she used to go to have a pedicure um, not from a podiatrist, but from, you know, a beauty salon or something. And they'd shave, they'd shave it down. And anyway, she came visiting to Sydney and my friend said, would you, would you look at my mum's corn? So I said, oh, no, it doesn't look real good. And we actually did an x-ray of it. And she actually had an infection in the bone underneath the corn. And it was um, something that would have been there for a long time. So if a podiatrist had got their mitts on that sooner, possibly we could have avoided getting the bone infection in the first place and certainly we could have um done something about it more quickly so you know that's that's the kind of reason that you need to see a podiatrist even though um it might seem like something that's quite minor because we can actually look at the underlying cause rather than just treating the problem yeah, that's right. It's um, it's really timely hearing both of you discuss these issues because obviously this uh, podcast is time to um, be released in Foot Health Week, which is coming up in October. And um, a lot of these messages relate to education. And um, I almost am hearing some generational uh, shifts that have gone on obviously over the years. And the scope of practice has just uh, continued to expand, uh, but maybe people were a bit slow to get the memo. And um, it comes down to us through activities such as this podcast and communications and so forth to tell people, no, 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 a podiatrist is capable of X, Y, and Z. And um, likewise, if you're a podiatrist looking to um, you know, develop your career, there are so many avenues, is what I'm hearing, uh, that perhaps haven't been fully appreciated uh, to date. What would your thoughts be on that? Absolutely. I think that... Um 
people who um, are looking, you know, high school leavers or people who are looking to change career often overlook podiatry because they don't see um, what podiatrists scope of practice is. And I think that the general public defer to their GP because they're not really sure what a podiatrist does. And, you know, I must say that when I decided to become a podiatrist, I probably had no idea exactly the whole range of things that I would end up being able to do. So for example, I, I do ultrasound, so I can actually um, use my ultrasound machine to look at the inside of your foot. And, and we've got some really exciting research that we've just published showing that we can actually look inside a diabetic foot ulcer and tell much, much more about what's going on by using ultrasound. We also, here at the university, we've got about half a million dollars worth of um, gait equipment. So we can look at the way that you walk, we can look inside your shoes, we can look outside your shoes, we can make modifications to your shoes so we can improve everything. So we have like many, many tools in our, in our um, armory that people have no idea that podiatrists can do. And I, I just um, noticed, Charlotte, you were talking about shockwave therapy, which is quite a new mm. um, treatment. And it there is. is some reasonable, or oh, some quite compelling evidence to suggest that it, it works for a lot of conditions. So, you know, podiatrists really are, pardon the pun, on the front foot a lot of the time. So it really <laughs> is worthwhile seeking out, um, you know, a referral to a podiatrist that comes recommended. And they probably, although, as you have um, said before, Siobhan, uh, people are concerned about the cost, it can be a false economy not to see a podiatrist sometimes. Mm, that's right. You don't necessarily even need a doctor's referral. Like, I appreciate the um, referral process from friends and family, but you can see a podiatrist without needing a GP referral, which I think some people still think you do require. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Charlotte, have you got any thoughts to add before we wrap up today's wonderful chat? Uh, any other insights you'd like to share? No, but just thank you very much for having us. And yeah, the, this Foot Health Week, please, everyone, have a look down at your feet. If you've been wearing your COVID shoes, just have a think. What, what condition are my feet in right now? Do you need to change your shoes? Do you need to go and have a medical pedicure? Do you need to go and get a diabetic assessment? Have you got something in your foot that you didn't even realise you've got because you've got peripheral neuropathy? So have a look at your feet, everyone, every day, and just make sure everything's intact and you haven't got any pains and niggles. But if you have, you know where to go. Mm. Well said, Charlotte, absolutely. And Francis, have you got any other thoughts to add to that beautiful closing, I may add? Look, you that was so nice eloquently way. put that I, I'm <laughs> yeah. to try and add anything on to the end of it, apart from the fact that, you know, we have a very comprehensive training program for our podiatrists and um, their scope of practice is broad. So uh, I think that they should be your, your first stop when you have foot pain. Mm, absolutely. And if you are listening, and uh, perhaps it is in that middle week of October where Foot Health Week is running, it's from the 12th to the 18th of October this year, um, please do uh, get, get involved in this campaign we're running, which really does address so many of the issues we've touched on today, um, to educate people as to the power and potential of podiatrists uh, in their lives. And um, you can actually go now to our newly launched website, which is foothealthaustralia.org.au. And uh, you can see all of the 2020 Foot Health Survey insights in uh, further detail. And of course, please remember to check out our website, podiatry.org.au, for other updates. 
And since this campaign uh, this year being COVID uh, influenced is going to be fully digital, there are heaps of opportunities for podiatrists and members of the public alike to share the love on social media. So we have our Facebook feed, which is facebook.com forward slash Australian Podiatry Association or our Twitter feed, apoda underscore national. And you can also, I think, find us on Instagram too. So um, please just keep the conversation going. And if you do see anyone, whether you're a podiatrist or a member of the public listening, tell them about uh, how much podiatrists can make a difference in people's lives and uh, the role that can be played and the benefits that can be found. So on that note, have a wonderful week ahead of you and uh, take care and we'll talk next time.